You're listening to The Process with Peter Martin, presented by Open Studio Network. Christian McBride, how you doing? My man, Peter Martin. <laughs> so wonderful to hear you uh, talk about your your music, your musical experiences, um, all this knowledge and information in this wonderful course for bassists, but I really think for anybody that loves and enjoys music, jazz music, and, and all music, and I'd love to just talk to you some about sort of the genesis of, of, of your uh, interaction with this music and i know it all goes back to philadelphia of course by the way uh happy 30th anniversary we met 30 years ago man that's right happy 30th that's crazy i know i know <laughs> we, were, we were three years old that's, that's the really crazy part about it that's right. <laughs> i was three and you were one i believe that, there you <laughs> go <laughs> yeah we've known each other for a while and uh it, it's such a pleasure to be you know first connected through music, that's you know. Right. I mean, that's that's how we yeah. how we came together, and we've been making music for all these years. Um, I th- I think, you know, what really strikes me in in hearing how you've laid out things in your lesson is really your complete um, connection with music. You know, I, I mean, to say that you're not just a bass player is is really an understatement, and and knowing that the bass is so foundational to everything that we do in this music. Right. But your love and your excitement and your connection with every aspect of the music is very appropriate that you're sitting at the piano because yeah. you know you're as natural playing this as you are the drums and the and the bass. Of course, we know you as a bassist. But if you could take me back just a little bit to your early days in Philadelphia and and sort of you know how you first became connected with the music and the different influences and things that you heard, yeah. um, that would be great. Well, as you as you well know, Philadelphia is a uh, a great legendary, not just jazz town, but uh, Philadelphia has so many legacies all across the board, uh, has a very uh, strong jazz history, a very strong R&B and soul history, a very strong gospel history, uh, one of the most storied symphony orchestras in the world, uh, so uh, 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 rock history. So no matter... Uh, what side of the musical spectrum you come from, Philadelphia always had a deep legacy in whatever style you were talking about. So growing up for me, it was mostly a soul and R&B household, uh, a, a little bit of jazz, a little bit of classical here and there, but mostly soul and R&B. And uh, my Uncle Butch, who worked for WHAT Radio, my earliest musical experiences, or at least you know, seeing and experiencing live music was uh, going to a lot of rhythm and blues shows with him, you know, seeing the Isley Brothers and Wilson Pickett and Glass Knight and the Pip, Smokey Robinson, Dionne Warwick, and then of course once I saw James Brown, all over, <laughs> ruined for life. And uh, my dad at that time was playing with Mongo Santa Maria, so then I would see my dad play with Mongo, and they were playing all this blazing Afro-Cuban music and uh, you know, I didn't know what it was called, but I just knew that the feel of it was uh, just as intense and just as exciting as it was going to see an R&B or, or gospel concert. So I think more than anything else, 
I kind of, I just got in tune with, with the feel of the music, the emotion of it. Once I started getting into jazz, which ironically was probably the last style of music I wound up getting into like deeply, um, it was important for me, you know, like kind of getting into the analytics of, of jazz. It was always important for me to always stay in tune with the emotion of it, like what's happening feel-wise, you know, get the feeling of it, understand what the feeling of it, and then analyze it as opposed to analyze first and then try to feel it later. You know, I always thought that was kind of reverse, you know, so uh, uh, it was just such a great town. A lot of great musicians there and then to have it in my own family. I was, you know, I was kind of, uh, didn't have much of a choice. I was either going to be a musician or be in the music business some some kind of way. Right, right. You know. So now how did you, what was your connection specifically with acoustic bass and your training? Because obviously there was, you know, by the time I met you, you know, you were 14 years old. Right. And when we first played together and uh, I mean, certainly you've got a lot of stuff together since then, but you had a lot together uh, in terms of, you know, mastery of the instrument, you know, just technically. Um, so like, w when did that really take off for you? I know you, you were at the settlement music school right. for a while, right? right. Uh, but when did that like sort of connection even before you got into jazz really? Yeah. Well, I got in, I, I started playing, I started taking private lessons uh, with my first acoustic bass teacher when I was 11, and so I kind of got into jazz and classical simultaneously. Mm -hmm. uh, I just knew that I always thought of the acoustic bass as sort of like the, the ultimate jazz instrument. Mm -hmm. Like, when I always thought of the word jazz, I always saw like a big up, upright bass, you mm -hmm. know. Uh, but I had a lot of great teachers, a lot of great mentors. My first bass teacher was actually a cello player. Her name is, is Margie Keefe, and... Uh, she started giving me bass lessons. And, uh, you know, the funny thing is I, I didn't want to play the acoustic bass because I was already playing the electric bass. I started playing the electric bass when I was nine. And then when I got to middle school and had to play in the orchestra, you know, obviously you can't play the electric bass in the orchestra, so... Uh, you know, all of the teachers, all the musical instructors there were, you know, why don't you play the, the, the double basses? Nah, I don't play that. You know, I'm already playing the electric bass. I don't need to play that too. Uh, I want to play trombone. So I picked trombone and uh, I played it for about 20 minutes. And the brass instructor, uh, he said, I understand you play the, the, the bass guitar. I said, yeah. He said, why, why, how come you don't want to play the double bass? I said, ah, I don't know. It's just, you know. He's like, well, I, I suggest you play it. What, what I really suggest is that you put the trombone down. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I quit playing the trombone. I can't say I really played it, but I put the trombone down and uh, I picked up the, the double bass. And I think my 11-year-old, you know, uh, naivete actually helped me because... Mm -hmm. I, just, I looked at it, and I wasn't really intimidated by the size. I just thought it's most likely 
a really big vertical electric bass, you know. <laughs> so I'm thinking, okay, instead of playing it like this, let me just go like this. And I'm sure the notes are in the same place, which they were. And uh, so I just kind of took to it uh, immediately, just kind of taking an educated guess, guess where the notes were. And uh, slowly but surely, I started to fall in love with it. But that was not my first choice. Like the first week of playing the, the double bass, I was like, oh, man, this, this is corny. <laughs> <laughs> right. But then it just started to slowly chip away at me. And uh, I fell in love with it. And from Miss Keith, I wound up having... Uh, two particular bass teachers, uh, Annie Peterson, who played in the Philly Pops under Peter Nero, and uh, Neil Courtney, rest his soul, he was the associate principal bassist with the Philadelphia Orchestra for many, many years. He became one of my main mentors. So they all tried their best to work with my hard head to get my bow technique together uh, while I'm trying to shed on jazz on the side. You know, I was like, oh, I got my lesson coming up. I better cram, <laughs> you know. <laughs> right. Right. But uh, I, I fell in love with jazz uh, almost uh, the moment that I started playing the acoustic bass seriously. Mm -hmm. Now, what's your feeling um, in terms of the instrument uh, and, and, you know, becoming a master of jazz, playing on the bass and, you know, the classical technique and just playing the instrument classically, like, and how those connect. I know for every instrument is different. Like for piano, it's, there's such a tight connection, but then, you right. know, for brass instruments and stuff, the technique is really different. But how did, I mean, probably back then you weren't as worried about that, but like what, what's kind of your philosophy on that, on, on how much of that you need and how much yeah. is helpful? Well, I, I think in, in studying classical bass, obviously using the bow is probably the, the biggest thing, which is not a necessity, per se, in, in, in playing jazz. Mm -hmm. uh, but I never wanted to not play with the bow because uh, I really want to get better at it. Uh, and plus, not a lot of jazz bass players historically have really used the bow. It, well, they've used the bow with... with varying degrees of success <laughs> right. you know that's a very nice way to put it <laughs> <laughs> right so you know i think of paul chambers i think of of john clayton you know i think of mm -hmm. george moraz um and i just really want to i, I want to get better at it i don't want to lose what i started you know I, I had some by the time you and i went to juilliard i think i had some real momentum going on with my with my arco playing at that time in fact i go back and listen to like a, uh, there was like a recital I played on like a WHYY radio when I was a senior. And uh, I remember hearing it and going, dang, that actually didn't sound too bad. Mm. <laughs> you know, oh, by I, the way, I could, this is senior in high school. Just it, it, you guys but, you know, <laughs> I could tell I was like really shedding, you right, know. Right, and, uh And I'm thinking, I, I got to get back to that, you know. And so, um, yeah, other than the bow, uh, I think what I learned in terms of uh, classical technique, number one, it tells you to, it, it teaches you how to play in tune, teaches how to tell, it teaches you how to play your instrument properly. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it, 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 you know, real talk, I mean, like when you improvise and when you're making stuff up on the spot, you kind of don't really know what you're doing. You know, you're not going to be in tune all the time because it's not a fixed way to play the instrument, you know. Uh, so 
I'm not always perfectly in tune, but at least I recognize when I'm not in tune and I try to fix it. What bothers me is that when I hear players play out of tune and they they don't know they're out of tune, right. or number two, they don't try to fix it. Are you, you talking know? about like fixing it as you're going? As you're flight? going, yeah, right. yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Because yeah. uh, the minute you play something flat or sharp, you know it, or at least I, you should know it, right. and then you should be able to make it that quick, like oops, you know what I mean? If, even if it's just like you know quarter of an inch, that little bit can make a a, a big difference in making the intonation really, really good. Well, I, and yet I think like you've always had such a great spirit of an improviser in everything that you do, and folks watching this course and all the things that you're doing and really being able to see up close are probably going to think that we sat in here and did a bunch of takes, which I can tell you we did not. You are playing and doing your thing and making those adjustments, and really the spirit of how you hear and feel the music comes out. This is not, I mean, truly not planned. And the way I think, you know, a lot of bass players I've, I've heard from, the thing that comes up over and over again about you is your super I'm sick high, of that. <laughs> no, no, just your super high level of execution. Like, you can hear the ideas and stuff, but, I mean, you are able to execute on a really high level. It's one thing to hear and have creative ideas over something, but to be able to execute them. And it, it, it's just the bass is not the easiest instrument to do that. I always think about, you know, the piano, anybody can sit down and press press a button. It's not going to sound good, but it, right. ultimately it's a bunch of buttons on there. The yeah. bass just physically to, you know, I mean, the trumpet just to be able to make a sound. Each right. instrument right. has its challenges, but I've always been amazed when we're on gigs because it's like I can I can feel you thinking of ideas and then they just come out, and to me, that's the ultimate level. I mean, that's what we're trying to right. do with all these that's instruments. Right. How do we get those ideas to just flow out? And um, I was asking too about you know the classical and jazz thing because yeah. I feel like you know like when we've done um, performances with orchestras within kind of a jazz setting, jazz group right. orchestra, the bass is the kind of the one instrument where the classical cats, like the bass section, they're sort of looking over like, that's right. Wow, the bass that's can right. kind of hit another level, and it seems like jazz has really taken this instrument. To its highest yeah, level. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, great stuff in the orchestra, of course, but they don't get the chance to soar like you guys do. Well, I, I find it interesting that when, when you play with a uh, when you play with a symphony orchestra, I don't think it was like this at once upon a time. Where I, I think there were a lot of musicians who probably looked down on on jazz artists, kind of like, well, that that's not real music, you know, mm-hmm. that's just some street music, mm-hmm. which it is, by the way. <laughs> um, but it, but it's, it's a great thing, you know, um, that they wouldn't be excited playing with a jazz rhythm section. But I think, for the most part, it's it's the other way around. Like, playing with a lot of symphony orchestras now, they're like, oh, we're going to do a jazz project. Oh, I, oh, yeah, this is going to be fun. You know? Right, new generation of players. Yes, yeah, new generation, you know. And uh, you're right. Like, I, I remember once doing something with the uh, uh, with with this orchestra in, in L.A. And uh, it was the, the old Henry Mancini Institute. And... Uh, I had like a little tiny amplifier and I didn't really want it. I was like, you know, just because, again, talking about sound, um, I think if you have a symphony orchestra there, which is not amplified, not through an amplifier, Mm -hmm. but then you have this instrument in the middle of it that is amplified, it could get dicey. It could work, but it could get dicey if, if 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 it's too loud or... If the, if the blend is not good, you know, especially with drums there and everything. So I was going to get rid of the amp 
But then I remember some of the people in the cello and viola section, like, no, 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 put your amp back here, because we, we want to hear what you're doing. <laughs> you know, I went, oh, really? All right, cool. I think that's another thing that you and I having uh, experienced playing classical music, uh, just being able to listen, being able to blend, knowing how to not abuse the stage monitors mm -hmm. or microphones. Uh, you know, we have we have an acute awareness of of how it sounds acoustically, and you know how to make it all blend with real acoustic instruments. Right, right. So, I mean, just kind of to sum that up for for a young bass player or for any age jazz bassist that wants to be uh, maybe a little bit like Christian McBride, get a little bit of that sound God like, help <laughs> in terms of, cause you know, you laid out, you know, so many interesting things about, you know, constructing a line and your influences and listening uh, to solos and learning solos, all these things that they can do right. in their practice. Um, how much would you recommend them to delve into the classical thing? I mean, not because they want to be a classical player, but right. to, to help them. I mean, right. is that like, 10% or 20 I mean how do they how do they work that out in their I, practice I, I would urge every budding young jazz musician particularly a bass player to find a teacher mm -hmm. uh, so you can learn proper bow technique so you can learn proper uh, particularly left hand technique you know how you know the 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 infamous gap that you have to have between first and second finger um I would highly recommend that because all of that stuff that you learn in taking classical lessons per se, classical lessons, uh, it can never harm your playing. It can only help your playing. Proper technique, learning intonation, learning sound control with your bow. Um, all that just adds uh, and, and enhances uh, your jazz playing. I mean, I don't think anything or anybody can teach you to be creative. I think you just need to listen to a lot, let your imagination go wild, mm. and uh, eventually let that imagination come through your hands and in, into in, in your instrument, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but in terms of being able to just do this, just the mechanics, mm -hmm. uh, I would say uh, classical lessons would count for a great deal of that. Okay, cool. Now, uh, you, you have a great lesson in your course on transcription. Oh, boy. And, and it, was, it is so cool because one of the first things that you said was, you know, now this is about transcribing, but, but you're not writing anything down. Right. You're learning by ear. That's right. And I know you spent a lot of time you know, just learning tunes, learning solos, stuff that, you know, from the masters that, you know, as you heard it and became interested and probably people saying, man, check this solo out. Yeah. But I have the feeling that some things that are missed by, um, you know, players that are trying to get better is the discipline involved with learning something like that. Because you went through Paul Chambers' solos. I think you did some of Miles' solos, right, some of right, Hank right, Mobley. But right. what maybe everyone didn't see is when we were warming up, you went actually sat at the piano and at the bass and played every note 
well, that I, happened I from beginning to. <laughs> well, tried. I could tell you knew that. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, yeah. the amount of time listening and studying, you know, what every note, how it interacts. That's right. And, That's and, right. Okay, if you could just speak on that and, yeah, and, and I mean, how you go about that. You can, I don't think it's, you, you shouldn't learn anything just by itself. I mean, you got to learn, like a certain line that Wynton Kelly would play sounds good for a particular reason because like, I mean, obviously Wynton Kelly uh, swung so hard and had such a great touch on the piano, but it's also how it fit with Paul Chambers and Jimmy Cobb. Mm -hmm. So in transcribing what Wynton Kelly did, you can't just listen just to his right hand and, you know, kind of write the notes down and say, okay, yeah, I got it. You got to listen to what his left hand is playing. You got to listen to how it interacts with the bass and the drums. And uh, it's a whole process uh, uh, what it means not just from the soloist standpoint but also what it means from a pianistic standpoint also what it means as a part of the rhythm section mm. uh, so yeah I, I think you have to be as thorough as possible when you're transcribing so that means not just listening to the primary soloist but listening how it's fueling everything around it and, and vice versa how the rhythm section is fueling the soloist so, mm. uh, and I think when you try to learn it by ear uh, it it just it makes you work, you know mm -hmm. what I mean. I, I think there's a part of there's a part of you that if you write it down only, you're not really internalizing it like you can because you know you have the option. Oh, I could put this paper away, and at some point, if I need to reference this, I'll just go back and pull it out and look at it, as opposed to actually learning it by ear. Now you'll never forget it. Mm -hmm. You know, now you, you really thoroughly understand it. And, and, and also, like I said, if there's something particularly interesting that you will, you know, there's a really difficult line or something, you say, oh, man, that sounded wild. Let me try to figure out exactly what that is. Then you write it down mm -hmm. and then you look at it and, you know, oh, wow. OK, now I see that. But uh, that should not come before trying to internalize it. This episode of The Process is brought to you by Open Studio, jazz lessons from jazz legends. For more information about Christian McBride's jazz bass course or any of our courses, go to openstudionetwork.com. So now what about, um, you know, when you went through that tune, you actually were referencing and analyzing everybody's solo before Paul Chambers, which I thought was interesting too. Yeah. What's your feeling for bass players in transcribing should it be kind of you know different instruments or should they start with bass players or should it like how should because i know a lot of people are like i don't they get so overwhelmed because right. there's so many you know there's ray brown ron carter and then yeah. if you start throwing in Wynton kelly and yeah. mccoy tyner and all this I, I i started transcribing solos that i just liked mm -hmm. you know it, it wasn't about you know let me do this because it's a particular bass player I, to be frank I don't think I've transcribed many bass solos. Mm -hmm. uh, it, most solos that I've actually tried to really learn thoroughly um, have been non-bass solos. You know, a lot of trumpet, a lot of Miles, mm -hmm. a lot of Freddie Hubbard, some Clifford Brown, uh, a lot of saxophone, a lot of piano, some guitar. Um, I don't. I don't think I know that many bass solos. Uh, if I do, they're all you know Ray Brown, Paul Chambers, you know Jocko, you know. Um, but, uh, I would, 
I was always drawn to learning solos that I just liked. Something about that solo, I would think, wow, that's that's interesting. Let me figure out what that is. You know, uh, I'd try to learn a line or two or four or five. You know, uh, obviously there were some some things that I I just couldn't. You know, there was some inside things that I couldn't quite nail, but I would get enough of the idea mm-hmm. to be able to make something creative out of it. And uh, so, you know, be it Joe Henderson or McCoy Tyner or, or Wayne Shorter or whatever instrument you play, uh, I would just pick a solo that you really, really like and try to delve into that mm-hmm. as opposed to sort of, well, you know, where do I start Ray Brown or Paul Chambers? Just just pick a solo you like. Start there. You right, know? right. Yeah, I love that too because, uh, I mean, I was the same way. I, I, right. I, I was always learning solos that I liked, so I was passionate about it because we know like once you really get deep especially for piano stuff if you know right. if you want to learn the left hand which i noticed you did with win kelly very impressed with that <laughs> um but you know i mean just the amount of work to get through it if you don't like it and are passionate about it you're gonna fall off exactly. if, if it's that's just right. doing it because someone else that's right tells you to that's and i mean exactly there's so right. many great solos they, they, there's no reason and i also find that you know stuff that people like by the time you get into learning it you already know it you yeah, can sing it because right. you've been listening to it, you know? Yep, and yep. so you're you're kind of a step ahead, I would say. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's all about uh, internalization, you know? Right. Uh, and just really getting into the personality of, 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 what you, uh, of what you're learning. You know, I mean, there's some Jaco Pastorius solos that I still haven't, fit, like, just technically speaking. I'm mm-hmm. just like, I don't know how he does that. I'll never know how he does that. Uh, if I find out, I don't, uh, I'm not quite sure how it will, you know, I'm sure it'll help me creatively, but, uh, more so I'm worried about what the overall musical statement is. How does it relate to everything going on? Uh, as opposed to just kind of taking that one small thing and learning that and not quite knowing how to institute that into my own thing you know what i mean like there, this is one jaco pastoria solo it's on a uh, weather report album uh the night passage album and there's a tune on there called port of entry and from what i've understood i read this in a book a magazine and i got it from one of the musicians on the recording uh peter erskine uh jaco takes this bass solo that's so sick i'm asking peter about it he says well, there was a little tiny bit of studio trickery on that. I was like, oh, really? He said, yeah, well, you know, Jocko played a solo slow, and then they sped, sped the tape up. And I think maybe part of me should have been disappointed, but I remember thinking, well, you know what? If that's what he needed to do to make the overall picture, the musical picture, more happening, then hey, right on. Oh, I'm, 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 I feel you, Jaco. 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 So 
So then I didn't feel so bad that I couldn't quite figure it out. So I was like, oh, even he didn't play it that way. I was <laughs> right, like, all right, right, good, I'm happy. <laughs> right. So then I, I started trying to look at the bigger picture. It was just like, okay, this is not about a fast bass solo. It was kind of like, what does that fast bass solo do to the overall scope of that piece? So that's when I started concentrating more on that. Right. Mm. But I but I get the feeling that all that, you know, Ray Brown stuff that on his solo stuff with Oscar Peterson trio oh, that he probably didn't do that. He actually was Yeah, <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and Paul Chambers too, you know, that, that one bow solo I was talking about on that Benny Golson record. Mm-hmm. Man, that that I never heard a bass solo. Well, I never heard anybody play eighth notes on a song that fast before on the bass, you mm-hmm. know, because I'd heard, you know, Slam Stewart play some really great Arco solos and he's, and he's singing along, but he rarely, he rarely played eighth notes, especially at a tempo like that, you know. So to hear Paul Chambers, you know, I was just like, is he really doing that? I think I remember most of that solo too, but uh, yeah, man, it's all about the feeling and, yeah. and the whole scope. Well, so you have a great lesson in this course too about playing fast, yeah. and, and I know that's something that that you're really known for, and that that you have a, a fluidity and mastery of of that's very exciting to play with and to hear. Uh, you know, lucky for me, it's been even more playing with that and kind right, of getting right. to ride that wave. That, that, that you provide. But I wonder if you could just talk about, like one thing that I've observed with you when you're playing fast is like you are a master of relaxing. Like you almost relax you have no more. Choice. Yeah, but you almost relax more the faster it gets. Like you physically and everything. You know, I, I remember having, uh, I remember having that discussion with, uh, with, with Ray Brown one time. Uh, actually, Wynton Marcellus was interviewing Ray Brown for a radio show that he had and Winton had kind of brought me along as sort of like the 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 base conduit, you know. Uh <laughs> translator. Yeah, translator, <laughs> that's right. And so uh and and uh Winton was trying to get Ray Brown to talk about the importance of swing at fast tempos. And and I remember Ray Brown, I vividly remember him saying, Well, the faster the tempo gets, I mean, especially if you start getting up in those kind of tempos, the demand for swing lessons as opposed to just playing the right tempo, you know, that's going to to make it swing, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, because it was kind of like, you know, I mean, like, you know, talk about like, you know, swinging hard up there, <laughs> like in that fast tempo. And, and Ray was like, that's, that's not kind of really what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like when you play, when you start playing real fast, you got to lighten up your touch. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you almost have to relax more mm-hmm. because if you try to approach a fast tempo, tense, uh, I mean, physically, you, your chops are going to lock up on you. Right. You know, I mean, I would guess that probably be the case on any instrument. You know, I mean, I, I think of a guy. Well, hey, here's a great example of you and I both doing this on Warren Wolf's 
first Mac Avenue record. He, right. he wrote that crazy tune. I yep. think it was called One for Lenny. Yep. That might be the fastest tempo I've ever played in my career. I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah, no, it was faster than that. Yeah, right. Yeah, the, <laughs> the quarter notes like right here. I remember thinking, this, this is going to sound, I, I, I said, like, the visual I got was like, like on the old Benny Hill show, like when they like run around in right. fast motion. <laughs> Everything started to combine into just one, <laughs> one note per measure. Now I'm thinking, this man don't make no sense to be able to play anything that fast, man. But... I think Warren knew that he would most likely only be able to play that tempo with us. I mean, Greg Hutchinson was playing, and I remember watching Greg. You like, and Greg is just say, you know, just chilling, not losing the tempo, just you know, it's kind of head, you know, kind of moving around, like you know, hey, what's happening, you know, and me playing that tempo, I kind of have to do the same thing, just relax, just chill. Just let all this do the work. You know, mm -hmm. can't, you know, get mm -hmm. too much into that because, you know, uh, too much movement just, it, it literally, it literally slows you down. Right, you right, know? right. So, uh, yeah, the faster it gets, the more you, you have to relax, you know. So when I'm playing fast or even if it's, you know, if I'm taking a solo and I'm trying to, you know, I, I hear a certain line, I'm trying to rip this thing off really quickly. Um, I find that, you know, you know, it's weird. I, I found that uh, I think I take a deep breath right before I do it, you know, or at least I take some sort of a, I always find myself going, <gasps> you know, so like the, there's some sort of breathing that subconsciously goes with that and, and just some sort of a, 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 uh, a required uh uh, calmness that has to go mm -hmm. with with playing that fast. Right, right. When I I know you mentioned in the lesson too, um, about what you're playing fast, having to be able to do that slow first. Yeah, and, and having to be able to take those same things. And I notice like you know certain bass players when they go fast, they're left handed. Like all of a sudden, yeah, right, everything's. Right. I, mean, I don't know proper bass technique, but I know it's different. Right. And but you know when you're playing fast, yeah, maybe you're playing lighter, but like the technique is the same. I mean, it just it it literally looks like everything's been sped up, you know. But the the technique that they yeah, because you don't want to lose the sound, right? Now, yeah. is that something that you've just done enough that it's automatic, or do you have to actually think about that? I, I think it's automatic. Well, I, I, well, one thing is that. Again, this is where the 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 naive eleven year old actually wound up, you know, working in my favor, because I do know that some of what I do on the acoustic bass is from the electric bass, mm -hmm. like you know, kind of playing the electric bass, kind of like this. I know that once I started playing the acoustic bass and I would have to play fast, I would still kind of play it that way, like like that, mm -hmm. you know, sort of electric bass ish. Technique, technique, you know, um, but uh, yeah, like I said, you you you, you got to be able to play it slow, 
you got to have the idea because just playing fast by itself, you know, I mean, you, you know, you know, that, that doesn't it, it doesn't mean much or, or, or it shouldn't mean much. Right. You know, uh, if you know a lot of big words, but you don't know how to use them in a sentence. Right. And why be impressed with learning big words? So right. it's the same thing with uh, learning how to play fast. You know, people, uh, particularly young players, they get turned on by the speed and the flash. But, you know, you got to look at it and, uh, and listen to it in context and uh, think about what that means. Freddie Hubbard's band, uh, getting to play with Freddie when he still had his chops. I mean, I'll tell you, every time Freddie would do one of those impossible, like razor sharp, clean lines that he would play, I would be in awe. Mm-hmm. You know, like, man, how does a man play that on the trumpet? You know, um, and then come back and play a ballad with these whole notes, with all this feeling and all these, you know, these grace notes and like, just a, ma- a technical master of the trumpet, but more than all, he was a, uh, a master storyteller. And I think uh, to be able to be fluent in slow, medium, and fast language is key uh, to being a great storyteller. Mm. I-, I believe so. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so talking about playing with Freddie, because I know you were, what were you like 18, yeah. 19 when you started playing with Freddie, when yep. you got to New York? Um, that brings up a really interesting point in that you started at 11 on acoustic bass. And uh, by the time you're 18, you're playing with Freddie Hubbard and playing at a high level. So that's not that long of amount of time, especially considering maybe 11, 12, there was a little bit of ramp up probably or something, <laughs> you know, and might have been like middle school and some other things right, going right, on. Right. Um, but I think it's really important for you know students of yours now through this course. Um, maybe just if you could speak a little bit about the discipline of of all you know not only learning the instrument but learning all the music, the harmony, yeah, the, right. the melody, the bass lines, learning the solos. Like, how do you go about doing that so that you can really progress? And get on a trajectory the way that you know we all want to develop. People are always talking about like, I don't know what to practice. I feel like I'm not getting better, or whatever. But yeah. at a certain point, you have to yeah. learn all this and absorb this and and really go somewhere right, right. And, and use that discipline. I, th- I think uh, you and I come from sort of the the same place in terms of uh, I was th- there was first of all there were a lot of musicians who I was able to interact with coming through middle school and high school, you know, sort of helps when one of your best friends in school is Joey D. Francesco, mm-hmm. you know, so we were learning together. Um, and then going to like the settlement music school and having all these mentors in town, all these great local musicians like Odin Pope and Sid Simmons and, and uh, uh, Tony Williams, a great saxophone player and 
uh, Eddie Green, late great pianist, Uri Kane. Uh, when you're surrounded by that many talented people, they can kind of, it, it might not always be that uh, crystal clear because somebody might tell you one thing and then somebody else you respect be like, no, 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 that's wrong. Don't listen to that. <laughs> Do it this way. Right. You know, I think at some point, you have to listen to you. You, you, you do what both person, what both of them tell you, even if they contradict each other. I think it's important, especially in your early stages. You need to check out both concepts. Mm. Uh, if someone says that ain't happening, check this out. Don't disregard what you just learned, but just learn what that person's telling you too. And then at some point, you're going to go, okay, this one seems to be, this one seems to fit me for what I'm going for. This kind of seems to fit me a little better. Um, but I also think we were focused in that we had certain people that we wanted to play with. Like, I, I know that in high school, I wanted no gig more than Art Blakey and the Jazz Messages, mm -hmm. which meant I had to not just learn moaning and blues march, <laughs> but I actually had to find the more recent recordings mm -hmm. and learn what they were playing at that particular time. So uh, I had these dreams of doing specific gigs, so I would have to buy all of the records of those people whose gig that I want, you know, be it Art Blake and the Jazz Messages, Freddie Hubbard's band, Wynton Marcellus, Branford Marcellus, Terrence Blanchard, Donald Harrison. Now, of course, the flip side of this, which I'm always urging high school students uh, to not to do what I did, because another thing that you are very well aware of is I, 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 I spent so much time shedding, I spent no time doing my homework, you know? <laughs> and so, like, I, I limped through high school academically, you know? Um, and I don't want to, I don't want any young people abusing uh, or, or mismanaging their time as, as badly as I did. Now, you know, I wound up getting out of high school, uh, but it was much more of a struggle than it needed to be. I, I knew a lot of tunes, but <laughs> I should have learned a little bit more of this as well, you know, because um, not every gig that I dreamt of having actually came into fruition, but it wound up, I wound up knowing a lot of music, so I... I didn't often get kind of get caught hung out to dry at jam sessions, things like that. I mean, obviously, there's a, a lot of songs I still don't know. And I got hung out to dry a couple of times. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, I knew enough music um, to kind of sustain me with whoever called me for a gig. But um, I knew I wanted to play with Freddie Hubbard one, one of these days and uh, his music. I, I've always loved all of his his original recordings uh, or or tunes rather mm. from when he was playing with Art Blakey, from his own albums, the the VSOP group with Herbie Hancock, and you know just uh, I just always loved Freddie Hubbard and, and Joe Henderson and McCoy Tyner, so I just did my best to learn as much of their music as possible. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, thank you. This is uh, my man. You know, uh, I mean, there's so much information in here. It's it's just fun to to even delve into it some more. But the 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 lessons, the knowledge, and the friendship, most importantly, well, man, is incredible. Th <laughs> thanks for putting this together. And uh, 
you've always been one of my favorite musicians in the world, man. You were like a, uh, if you were a basketball player, you could play all five positions <laughs> very, very well. You know, you could put, you could put Peter at the point or at center. You play all five positions. You, you're like the perfect cat. Oh, well, thank you. All right, Christian. Love you, baby. Take Let, it easy. Let's eat. <laughs> let's do it. Let's get some food. Talk about some food. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of The Process. And don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes. Special thanks to my very special guest, Mr. Christian McBride. To learn more about Christian's base course or any of our other courses, go to openstudionetwork.com. Peace.